Welcome to the Canvas Ships Podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk, shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. The Cavus Ships Podcast is sponsored by HII. Learn more about how HII's three divisions, Ingalls Shipbuilding, Mission Technologies, and Newport News Shipbuilding, are delivering the advantage from seabed to space. Visit HII at West 2024, February 13th to 15th in San Diego. HII, delivering the advantage. Coming up, there's a lot going on around the U.S. Navy and a lot to discuss. We'll dive into some of those areas, including the Pentagon's Replicator Initiative and the possible long-term effects of the high pace of carrier deployments. But first, a look at Naval News this week. Five U.S. Marines were killed February 6th when their CH-53 Echo Sea Stallion helicopter crashed in Pine Valley, California, about 50 miles east of San Diego. The Marines were from Marine Heavy Helicopter Squadron 361 on a flight from Creech Air Force Base in Nevada to Marine Corps Air Station Miramar near San Diego. The cause of the accident is under investigation. In the campaign against Houthi weapons in Yemen threatening international shipping in the Red Sea and Gulf of Aden, U.S. and British forces carried out several strikes against Houthi missiles and unmanned vessels and aircraft before they could be launched. One of the strikes on February 8th hit, according to U.S. Central Command, four Houthi unmanned surface vessels and seven Mobile anti-ship cruise missiles preparing to launch. Two other Houthi USVs were destroyed on February 5th. The Houthis, on February 6th, launched six anti-ship ballistic missiles. Three were aimed at Greek bulker Star Nasia in the Gulf of Aden. One missile exploded near the ship, causing minor damage, and another landed in the water, but nearby. The U.S. destroyer Laboon shot down the third missile. The other three missiles landed in the southern Red Sea near the cargo ship Morning Tide with no damage. In Britain, the planned deployment of the aircraft carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth was canceled just hours before it was due to leave Portsmouth for NATO exercises. The British Royal Navy said that routine pre-sailing checks on February 3rd turned up an issue with a coupling on the ship's starboard propeller shaft. As a result, the Navy said, Queen Liz's sister ship Prince of Wales will instead take part in NATO exercise Steadfast Defender while repairs are made. Prince of Wales was undergoing pierside maintenance at Portsmouth and could not immediately get underway. The incident was reminiscent of the situation on August 22nd, when Prince of Wales broke down with a machinery issue just a few miles after clearing Portsmouth Harbor to begin a deployment to the United States. In that incident, Queen Elizabeth carried out the deployment while Prince of Wales spent several months under repair. The U.S., Japan, and Australia carried out trilateral operations in the South China Sea February 7th through the 8th. U.S. destroyer John Finn and littoral combat ship Gabrielle Giffords were among the ships taking part. On February 9th, the Gabrielle Giffords joined the Philippine Navy's frigate Gregorio del Pilar to patrol in the South China Sea, the third in what's being termed a maritime cooperative activity between the U.S. and the Philippines in the region. German Navy Chief Vice Admiral Jan Christian Koch said in early February the F-125 type frigate Baden-Württemberg 
and supply ship Frankfurt on Main would make a round-the-world cruise beginning in May 2024. The F-125 frigates are a new type that, while very large, are relatively lightly armed and configured for more multi-mission operations. The last German round-the-world cruise was by the frigate Bayern from 2021 to 2022, but the upcoming deployment will differ in likely being a westward direction crossing the Atlantic before entering the Pacific. Germany thus will join several European nations planning to deploy to the Pacific Theater during 2024, including a likely participation by Italy's aircraft carrier Cavour in the biannual Rim of the Pacific or RIMPAC exercise out of Hawaii in midsummer, and an expected deployment to the Pacific by France's carrier Charles de Gaulle. In a January letter to the Greek government, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken expanded potential United States offers of military assistance to include, quote, up to four littoral combat ships. Greece has long been known to be interested in acquiring recently decommissioned U.S. Navy Freedom Class LCSs, which include the Milwaukee LCS-5, Detroit LCS-7, Little Rock LCS-9, and Sioux City LCS-11, along with the first ship, Freedom LCS-1. In the letter, which was reported by several media outlets, Blinken said the U.S. government will submit proposed ship transfer legislation to Congress. Lockheed Martin, builder of the Freedom-class ships, has proposed a variety of lethality upgrades for the LCSs. The Australian Department of Defense said February 4th that 37 Royal Australian Navy officers and sailors have reported aboard the U.S. Navy submarine tender Emory S. Land at Guam. The move is part of preparations for the beginning of Submarine Rotational Force West, the plan to begin rotating four American and one British submarines operating from HMAS Sterling in Western Australia. Australian personnel will spend up to five months aboard the MRES land, one of two U.S. submarine tenders based at Guam. In the U.S. on February 8th, the Pentagon's Defense Innovation Unit, or DIU, said it had chosen three vendors to prototype and develop unmanned underwater vehicles for the U.S. Navy. The companies are Oceaneering International, Consberg Discovery, and Andrel Industries. DIU said the agreements highlight the importance of improving underwater capabilities, leveraging unmanned systems, and tackling present and future maritime dangers in a cost-effective and scalable manner. In new ship news... Ingalls Shipbuilding announced February 5th the amphibious transport dock ship Richard M. McCool Jr., LPD-29, has completed builder sea trials. The McCool is a Flight 1 Plus variant of the San Antonio LPD-17 class and is the first ship of any kind fitted with the rotating Spy 6 V2 variant of the new EASR Enterprise Air Surveillance Radar, a Raytheon sensor being developed in several versions to operate from different classes of ships. The first Spy 6 V-1 is fitted to the Flight 3 Arleigh Burke-class destroyer Jack M. Lucas. McCool still has to complete acceptance trials before being delivered to the U.S. Navy. Austell USA announced this week that the U.S. Navy acceptance trials for the littoral combat ship Kingsville LCS-36 were completed on January 31st. After the Kingsville, only one more Independence-class ship remains to be completed, the Pierre LCS-38. Austell also announced February 6th they will begin construction this summer of a major new expansion of its Mobile, Alabama shipyard. 
The work includes a large three-bay ship assembly building and a new ship lift system designed to build Constellation-class frigates, as well as U.S. Coast Guard offshore patrol cutters and other vessels. The ship lift will be able to lift or launch ships up to 18,000 tons, far larger than any ships now under construction in the yard. The expansion is part of a major effort at Austell to move heavily into steel ship construction. And in old ship news, the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Steadfast, WMEC 623, was decommissioned in a ceremony February 1st at Coast Guard Station Astoria, Oregon. The Reliance-class medium endurance cutter was built in Lorraine, Ohio, and first entered service in September 1968, a career of 56 years. BZ indeed. And that's a look at just some of this week's Naval News. All right. Let's move on to the discussion portion of the show. Chris, you were exactly right in the open. That was uh, quite a week in Naval News. We don't have a guest this week. Um, we do this every now and again. We uh, take some time, especially on busy weeks, and uh, pick out a few of the headlines and spend a little bit of time, just the two of us talking, three to four that jumped out at me uh, over this week that I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about. The first um, was the the media coverage and how it is continuing to increase. Uh, and that's the media coverage of the operations going on in CENTCOM. Um, we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks, and uh, you gave a thoughtful squawk uh, la last week in uh First, recognizing the fact that you know the lid was starting to come off uh, of that, and and then throughout the week we saw more and more media coverage uh, coming out of uh, CENTCOM. I wanted to get your thoughts uh, in terms of one, um, the volume that we're starting to see, and two, just maybe comment a little bit on the the types of things that you're seeing in the coverage. Well, you know, I mean, it, it is nice to see. It's you know the the Pentagon since the really the first Gulf War. Um, really embraced, first embraced the, the whole idea of, you know, media embedments. And, you know, I want to be embedded in a, in a group. And this this is sort of a term that I think gets misused and misunderstood a lot. Uh, but but it essentially it meant, you know, can I go at first, can I be embedded with a unit, a ground, usually a ground war unit, an army unit, um, and be with them as they go through the training and wait to wait to, to to wait to invade and go into action then stay with them for a while and follow people along for several weeks that's sort of where that term embed, embedded came from it was phenomenally successful they really hadn't done it that way um, since the Vietnam War they had a lot of bad experiences with media going out and finding out what was actually going on which was usually counter to the government story and um, there was there was a long period where that was certainly frowned upon um, it was a huge success during the first Gulf War in 1991, 1991. Uh, and they kept that up uh, throughout the uh, the ground campaigns. Sorry, the ground campaigns in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, the Navy uh, does it not. The, it's, it's it's not quite the same thing. It's a it's a different um, it's a it's a it's a different flavor all around when you're out on a ship, especially you're out on a ship at sea and you're deployed. Um, for one thing, there's not a whole lot for riders to do day to day to day to day to day. Uh, it's, it's okay to sit around, talk to a lot of people, and watch what they do. But after a while, like, well, what else do you guys do? Well, that's kind of it. And you can't really, you don't really go anywhere besides the ship. So it, a long-term, you know, multi-week embedment 
or embark, as it's uh, called in the Navy, um, usually isn't the kind of thing to do. On the other hand, um, one, two, three, four, five day embarks can be really useful, really interesting, and and to, frankly, downright fun. And I've done a number of those over the years, and every one of them has been just great. I mean, it, you you can't miss. And the the Navy is usually really happy with what you come back with, with what people put out. Um, they will of, often talk about, you know, don't take our word for it, talk to our people. And it's true. It really is true. Uh, and it's when they don't do it, when people are afraid to do it as a matter of policy, I think it it really bites them. It really it, it rears up, it bites them in the rear. And um, you don't really succeed. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a poor thing. I used the Gerald R. Ford just as an example. But um, it's nice to see that they're loosening this up um, during this campaign. Um, the White House, as we as we've said, has been real had really had a tight lid on everything. Um, it's a very dicey political situation. I think I think you know we th I think you I'm speaking for you. We you and I think that uh, they're overdoing this caution, that they're putting caution in maybe the wrong place here. Uh, they are also trying to not make it look like U.S. forces are in combat, constant combat. We're not in combat. I don't know. They've they've already been awarding combat action medals. Right. I don't know how you can award combat action medals and not be in combat, but that's is exactly what's kind of going on. In any case, we are seeing we're seeing where the major networks, the broadcast networks, are finally getting access, and that's a good place to start. You get a lot. You get a lot of bang for your buck with that. Um, you also get an element of superficiality. Um, says me. Says me, who spent fourteen years with NBC and. Um, <laughs> knows something about television and how you how you use backgrounds and stand-ups to to look like you're you're doing really cool stuff um, a lot of times you are but a lot of times it's just scenery um, and also people are just anxious to they're not out there for that long it's a good thing to do i'm not poo-pooing it right but it's not the not the be-all and end-all it's by no means the whole thing so we'll see where this goes i mean they've been getting really nice publicity um you know, with 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 ABC, I, I haven't seen anything Fox. Did Fox get out? I, mean, I have not seen Fox out. I've seen uh, CBS, I've seen ABC, and I've seen NBC. Right. Um, but I don't know if Fox maybe is holding their uh, their package or CNN for that matter. I just have yeah. I've, I haven't seen it, which doesn't mean it hadn't happened. Just right. But it's a good thing. You know, I'm, I'm glad they're doing it. Um, I want to see them do more, and I want to see them expand it to, uh, frankly, the the uh, trade press yeah. and uh, smaller people. I mean, smaller entities that are not you know, what's left of the major broadcast networks, which frankly don't have the the punch and power and impact that they did 15, 20, 30 years ago. Back when I was doing it. <laughs> no. What do you think? I would love, as you mentioned, I mean, I, I would love to see a little bit more reporting done, um, you know, put somebody on there for three or four or five days and really talk to the leadership of these uh, vessels and get a sense of, did they feel like they were prepared um, now look, people will say, well, of course they're going to tell you they felt like they're prepared. Ah, you know, from bouncing around the ship, I mean, you can get a good sense of, uh, of what the morale is and, and what, um, the preparation level was, um, and, you know, really 
be able to capture what life has been like on those ships um, since, uh, you know, the the shooting started um, there and, you know, towards the end of October. S speaking of the shooting star uh, starting, that, that shooting is continued. You, you and I were talking last night. I, I, I think at least I am quite surprised that um, this has continued as long as it has. Um, you, you know, I, I thought this, when we saw this happen in 2016, it was a few salvos at uh, Mason and Nitza and um, the- sh From, then from the Houthis, you mean? Sure. Yes, I'm Houthis, sorry. Houthis shooting, yeah. yeah, I apologize. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that the Houthis have continued to, uh, to shoot at our ships. And, and as I said, I mean, since, you know, when this happened in 2016, when Mason and Nitza took fire, it was kind of one and done. Um, and then things quieted down. I mean, we've uh, we've had several weeks of, uh, of firing at, at, at U.S. Uh, ships and international shipping. Uh, obviously, as we talked about at the top, we've fired back into uh, Yemen and, and other areas um, to go after um, the the launch sites and the technology that helps feed the launch sites. But um, you know, it you kind of wonder how long this will go on and if, if this type of sort of smoldering conflict is something that we're going to have to deal with uh, there in CENTCOM, which had kind of become a little bit of a sleepy theater uh, after things got quiet uh, when we pulled out of Afghanistan. Right. It has. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see the, the tactics have evolved on both, both sides here. The Houthis um, two, three weeks ago really expanded their attacks from the southern red sea over to the gulf of aden and other you know the the southeast coast of yemen um on the other side of the Babel mandab strait uh that's a whole nother shipping pattern out there uh and that's another theater that's uh, so that's that's been an expansion on their part for the american side the american allied side which is the british joining in to actually drop weapons um the tactics now are they're they're clearly keeping a close eye on every site that they know of uh one way or another and when they see something that looks like it's out ready to ready to go preparing to launch be it a missile be it a you know, an unmanned service vessel be it a uav they call in a strike they hit them on the ground before they take off um so they're they're trying to say you know if you come out we'll we'll smack you down um and we, you know, nobody has any idea how 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 well what the resources the Houthis are dealing with, you know, how what's their staying power, how long can they do this? I mean, they're in no particular hurry, and you know, they haven't uh, the whole campaign that be really began in 2016 when the some of the Gulf states, led by Saudi Arabia and the UAE, joined into with a lot of support from the Americans to go after the Houthis. Um, that didn't go well at all. The Houthis, the Houthis were had far more sophisticated weapons and tactics, and staying power. So, um, it's not easy. It's not easy to smack them down. We'll see. We'll see if it, if it what it does. Now uh, let's come. Let's compare this theater to you know a, its sister theater on the other side of uh, of the world in Indo Paycom. Well, you know the I mean the Chinese the the buzz literally. Chinese ships and aircraft buzzing all around Taiwan uh, leading up to their national elections was very intense. Uh, it's still going on. And the Chinese actually announced this in the past few days 
that they're now setting up a regular patrol around Taiwan. So this is a, a regular deployment, naval deployment, naval and air deployment um, around Taiwan for pick your Chinese reason. But the uh, you know they, they've they've ratcheted that up. They're they so you know that's that that's that, that does nothing but keep the tension on. We haven't done a whole lot in in, in uh, terms of of um, Taiwan Strait Transits. We've done one so far this year. Um, the the uh, FONOPS in the South China Sea are 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 sporadic, relatively sporadic. On the other hand, um, the the operations we just talked about the Americans in the Philippines, Pino, American and Filipino uh, navies patrolling together is very much a, a ratchet up, and it very much irks the Chinese. So, you know, we'll see. And, and you know, part of it is we'll see what happens this summer when a whole bunch of Europeans come over. Right. And the Chinese will say, what are you doing over here? Um, and everybody will say, I don't know. doesn't matter. We can go anywhere we want, just like everybody else does. So we'll see. I am worried about splitting a little bit about the – I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on with our aircraft carriers at the moment. We noted a few weeks ago that yeah. um, very unusually – we had eight of the 11 aircraft carriers, American aircraft carriers, were actually underway, screws turning at the same time. That is incredibly rare. It wasn't on purpose. It's, it's actually not the kind of thing you want to do. Um, you try to manage these things, but reality intrudes every which way from Sunday. And, you know, you want ships to go in for regular maintenance and you want to schedule that maintenance years in advance um, because the planning efforts are huge. The, the funding is huge. Uh, and you have to have your shipyard available to take the biggest ships and the biggest warships in the world. On the other hand, sometimes those warships aren't there. They stay out long. They get extended deployments. They're not available. And sometimes when they do get in the yards, that you know, goes a lot longer than anybody had hoped for or planned or wanted. Everything throws everything off constantly. So we had eight of 11 actually underway um, and four deployed. That was That was an accident. People read that as a... Some people read it as a reaction to the to the Israeli Hamas war, but it was not. It was a it was happenstance. Um, a couple of years ago, we had only three carriers were running. The they the opposite end of this. Everybody's in the yards. Nobody's out. Um, nobody's available. Uh, right now, nominally, the Navy could 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 field four carriers with four others in various states. <laughs> And say, you know, I mean, now now the limitation is how many aircraft do we have? They, I don't think they can deploy eight wings at the same time. That's not that's not possible. But uh, um, so there's there, there's always a good side to something, and then there's a the backside. You know, it's right. going to come smack in the butt. And right now we have three carriers deployed. I think that's high. Um, the Ike, uh, Eisenhower is is on time. She's in the. She's in CENTCOM right now. Um, she's she's the Atlantic carrier and relieved Gerald R. Ford. That's on time. Um, and they, of course, extended the Ford two months when Ford's home now. Um, I, I, uh, they have tried to keep a carrier in the Mediterranean throughout ever since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which we're coming up on the two-year anniversary. Um, that's seen as a, as a priority right now there's only a there, there's an arg a amphibious ready group that's doing that that's not a uh, an optimal situation i think they'd like to get ike back in the med uh, as soon as they can but ike is busy right now and her air wing is very much a part of uh all these strikes that we're talking about 
um, they've shot down missiles and they've they've attacked Houthi targets. Uh, they're they are busy. Um, Carl Vincent is in the Western Pacific. They deployed in the middle of October out of San Diego, but also in the middle of San, in the middle of January out of San Diego, Abraham Lincoln. De- I'm sorry, not Abraham. Ted, Theodore Roosevelt deployed TR, and that seems to me a bit early. Now you know you can ask these questions: Is this a surge deployment? Nobody confirms or denies this stuff. It's just we're not going right. to comment on current operations. Okay, well, what if I said this? Well, you can say what you want. And then, oh, they'll say something like, interesting, <laughs> is the response. Uh, but people have, I, I have absolutely posed, posed this question, and nobody has said, no, that's not true. Okay, so we're sort of left with, with speculation, which I really don't like to do. But, you know, we can look at things and say, Three, one carrier deploying from the same port three months after another carrier is not a normal pace of operations. That's 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 heightened or surge, if you call it. So it may be that Theodore Roosevelt is the first surge carrier deployment that we've seen this year in, in response to current events. Uh, they they want to keep a carrier in the Western Pacific. It looks like they want a carrier now for the foreseeable future in CENTCOM, both to operate in the Persian Gulf, keep an eye on Iran, and to operate around the Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea against the Houthis. And that's a three-carrier requirement. And that will really begin to drag the Navy down fast. They can surge it. They can maintain it for some time. But if it becomes a standing requirement, as what happened sometime in the past um, during the Iraq War, there was a right. surge in the Iraq war. And for, for the surge, they deployed two carriers out there. The CENTCOM commander said, can I have two carriers? Navy said, can do, sent two carriers out there. And it was supposed to be there just for a campaign, a surge campaign on the ground. But it made everybody so happy. They liked having their two carriers. They made it a standing requirement, essentially. And it was killing the Navy. It was just, it was really killing them all every which way from Sunday in terms of budgeting and resources and capacity, wearing out people. They simply don't budget and plan for that. So surge means, yeah, I can do it for a stretch, but I can't maintain that unless a lot of other things start to change. And that was that was a bad situation. Maybe had a really hard time getting out of that. Um, and then, so if we get into three carriers now out there, that's a, that's going to really start stretching things if it becomes a surge, if it I mean a standing surge, if it if it's just for the moment for a few months, sure, right. you know we live for this stuff. We're supposed to be able to do this, but if it becomes if a year from now, we still have three carriers deployed in those theaters, that becomes an issue, and we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I was looking at friend of the pod, uh, Ward Carroll's uh, Twitter feed. He's down in Norfolk uh, this week, um, and he was on board um, the Gerald R. Ford. And so he was, t- he was taking some pictures from the uh, from the island, and you see that they re-non-skidded the landing area and some of the uh, the aircraft elevators, which, I mean, you, you know, that means typically you don't do that when the ship comes home right away. I mean, typically that's post-maintenance or um, and so they're either going to head out and do their, you know, be the ready carrier qual um, carrier, you, you know, bound, uh, do some training off of uh, the the coast of Virginia and North Carolina, or they may be on the hook for the East Coast uh, uh, surge carrier. So, um, you know, all, all sorts of things happening with uh, the carriers on both coasts. 
No, they are. And it's, you know, it's good to keep an eye on it because, you know, as the carriers go, so so a lot of the Navy goes. Most of the, of the surface Navy is geared around the carriers and, of course, naval aviation. Um, so, you know, what's the what's the plan on that? It's always interesting how the media never talks about the, the air wing. Right. Everybody, everybody talks about the carrier, but, you know, it's just an, it's a big empty ship with a flat top on it. Right. If you don't have a couple thousand sailors as part of the air wing. And uh, you know, eight squadrons out there, um, they have they have their own issues, and it's not just about the carrier. So, um, you well, speaking, were interested. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Spe speaking of that, I mean, uh, the the status of the Ospreys remains uh, up in the air. Mm -hmm. So, an important part of the air wing, one that's not on there all the time, um, the MV twenty two Ospreys that have taken on the carrier onboard delivery role, the COD role, they're still down, right, Chris? They are, and you know, this is a multi, multi-service issue, right? It's, it, and it, this affects the Marines big time, affects the Air Force, affects the Navy. Everybody uses the Osprey, the MV twenty-two, tilt rotor aircraft. Um, the Marines, the 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 the, uh, and the Marine Expeditionary Units, which is the formation to go with an amphibious ready group, uh, has a major reliance on these things, and there are, there's a deployed MU out right now. Uh, out now, I'm not sure how they're handling their ospreys being grounded. The Air Force uses them for, uses them for uh, logistics and search and rescue. The Navy, of course, has is in the process of transitioning from the you know in the carrier onboard delivery aircraft, which is the way the vast majority of visitors get on, on and off aircraft carriers while they're at sea and deployed. Um, is this you know the venerable C2A uh, Greyhound? Um, a, a flying truck and we've all been cargo aboard a board a you know greyhound cod um but they're phasing that out they've already deployed with uh, ospreys the west coast carriers actually phased out the you know, the west coast squadron which is fleet logistics support squadron 30 vrc 30 already had a sundown they're gone um last uh, october and some of their aircraft went into storage three flew out to the atlantic fleet where um, they they've joined VRC forty because, but by I think I think the two more years, all of the ospreys are supposed to be gone. I'm sorry, all of the greyhounds are supposed to be gone, replaced by ospreys. This is a big deal, and all of a sudden, um, Pacific Fleet needs greyhounds. There were there were a handful still operating in in, um, in Japan. But that was it. It was a, a detachment still operating. But most of them were gone, replaced by Ospreys. Now the Ospreys are grounded, and this is a major issue. And I'm I'm wondering, I, I don't know the answers. I've asked questions and gotten shrugs. Um, um, well, actually, next week I'm going to meet with a new air boss uh, in San Diego. I'm hoping to hear some more information about this. But um, I don't know how people are dealing with this. No, I mean, number one, where are the airframes? Because I mean, the, the, all the other the the C twos are really old, and uh, they are, you know, it's time they're they're worn out. It's time to put them away, um, and they did put them away, and now they're 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 scrambling to get aircraft that they thought they were completely done with, back in service. How many can they even get? I don't know. It's a great question, and um, I mean, I had. So I, I had, a, had, had a situation, she's uh, only about a year and a half ago, I was flying out to the Gerald R. Ford out of uh, Chambersfield in uh, Norfolk. 
and we were supposed to get on a C2 to fly off to the Ford. And we're all ready to go. We're all ready. Everybody's lined up, ready to walk out on the to the aircraft on the flight line and, and board and fly off. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, we got to wait. Uh, we just ran some checks and the aircraft, uh, you know, we got a problem. We can't take off. We got to swap out aircraft. So give us another half hour. So they did. They rolled over another one. Um, okay, we're all ready to go. Gas it up. Let's get out of here. Let's let's fly. We all board, get on the airplane, fly out. Um, it's always fun because you know there there's no windows and you're looking you're sitting you're sitting strapped in l- looking backwards because um, you're cargo and you know we're in the but but you can tell what we're doing and we're we're in the in the flight pattern we're 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 on final approach to hit the aircraft carrier and the the wheels are down the tail goes down the flaps are down you can tell we're descending we're descending you're waiting for the guy to you know yell at everybody put your head down before you hit the trap and we picked up speed and the, you could hear the wheels come up and we started turning around and they said, well, we're really sorry uh, the, we couldn't get a, get a green light on the tail hook. So we're yeah. going to fly back to Norfolk and got on a third aircraft to fly out. You know, and, you know, it doesn't happen every time, but it happens. Uh-huh. But it was just illustrative of, you know, they're, they're just trying to gas these things along. So this is, this is not, not inconsequential this this grounding of the osprey and so far there's no indication that they're reaching the end of it so you yeah want to go, go I, one last thing before we get to replicator um i heard this week that they're getting closer to a conclusion and that we yeah. may be headed towards v22s flying again that it, they don't believe it was a systemic problem they, right. they've gone a little bit further in that investigation out in the crash in japan so we'll keep our fingers crossed Yep, I hope so. I hope so. People need those things. Um, by the way, I like flying ospreys. I'm not afraid of them. Uh, yeah. I mean, I love those. I, I, we all know people who I'm, I'm not getting on those things. But you know, it's it, it's a great ride. It's a fun ride, and um, it's a, it's it you know it's a fast helicopter. It's quieter. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's a lot less rumbly than a cod, and a lot quieter and smoother than a helicopter, and it gets you faster. They're faster than a helicopter. In any case. Um, it's, it's certainly to say it's versatile aircraft is an understatement. Let's talk a little bit about these, uh, LCSs, uh, going to Greece. Um, you know, I think we had heard about this, uh, you know, kind of on and off for, I guess, years now, but it, I mean, those letters from, uh, secretary Blinken are encouraging if you're, uh, part of the Greek Navy. No, I think it is. I mean, they've been. Greece has expressed an interest. They're not the only one, but they've they've really expressed an interest in in the LCS for a long time. Um, they like them. Um, there's a lot. Anytime they're talking about military aid to the Greeks, uh, you have to say, "What are we doing for Turkey?" Because there's very much a sort of a quid right. pro quo there from the U.S. point of view. It's not the same systems. Not like, well, we gave them one, so we got to give them one. Uh, but it's it's something else. But uh, like right now, actually the Greeks are approved for F-35, um, whereas the Turks we kicked out of the F-35 program a few years ago because they bought a Russian right. uh, missile system. Um, but now we're talking about approving them for new F-16s. So yeah. that we were, and for all I know, but different topic. Um, <laughs> we have these four LCSs, the ones we named um, at, in, 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 in the news, that uh, they're they're they've deployed they've operated um they they have a fix for the you know um for the 
um, gearing system in them right. that they're fixed, by the way, that they're very happy with. And um, they're all relatively new ships. They're low mileage. Um, it's a, you know, it's a real deal. As we said, Lockheed has a number of lethality upgrades, which the Greeks would be very much interested in. It's unlikely anybody w wants to do the, uh, um, you know, the mission module system that the ships were right. conceived for it. That's, that's pretty much kind of a dead idea, uh, dead concept, but how do you refit the ships with a lot more lethality? And, and that, that is certainly possible. And, uh, they're, they're actually very appropriate ships to operate in the Aegean and the islands that are all the Aegean and uh, pretty good deal. Uh, the Greeks are, would be very excited. Lockheed will make money on it. Um, the U S Navy will be done with them. But I also think from the U S Navy point of view, it's not been stated flat out, but I've been told very much on the inside that they are done with littoral combat ship decommissionings, these early things. Uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is Congress is saying, I'm sorry, they're new ships and our people are, are right. not happy. Um, Pissed would be a word. Um, some of these and some of those cities that those ships were named for are exceptionally not happy. Um, Sioux City, Iowa stands out as maybe yeah. first among them, but they're not alone. And um, Congress definitely heard about that, you know, and they're brand new ships and you're whining about you don't have enough ships, so what are you doing? Actually, the Navy... In, in, in a number of circles is really quite happy with the, with the improvements that they're making with those ships. And um, it's going to take a while to get people who really don't pay much attention to accept that, but um, they're, they're here. They're, they're not going away anymore. Now hear this. Now hear this. Now hear this. All right. Now it's time for Mr. Savello, a fan of replicator. Well, yes, uh, I am. And I mentioned at the top that we would talk a little bit about Replicator. Um, last year, Under Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks unveiled the Replicator program, the latest and most ambitious Department of Defense effort aimed at rapidly scaling capabilities in the face of high-end competition. Replicator's initial task is to scale and field thousands of attritable autonomous systems within the next 18 to 24 months. These systems are supposed to leverage AI, unmanned technology, and dual, other dual-use technology um, that's currently in the marketplace today. The goal is to integrate these technologies into an operational framework that helps pursue the United States' foreign policy goals in the Indo-Pacific, the European theater, as well as CENTCOM, and other areas of responsibility. Now, skeptics applaud the new thinking, but they wonder openly whether these innovations will fully meet the demands of an increasingly complex and competitive operational environment. They argue that parallel effort to what's already in the works might take away needed intellectual and fiscal resources. Furthermore, they wonder if the services will receive these new technologies with open arms or will they simply be cast aside in favor of more traditional technology. Now, I get that there are a ton of questions surrounding Replicator um, and how this technology will be fielded, tested, and integrated into the operating forces. But if we wait for all the answers to the same cultural and what-if operational questions that have dogged traditional military innovation for decades, we're going to miss our moment, Chris. Wars in Ukraine and the Middle East highlight how outnumbered forces can use commercially derived drones, electromagnetic warfare systems, sensors, 
and satellite communications, just to name a few, to gain a battlefield edge against even first-rate militaries. Washington and its allies could retain their ability to deter and defeat aggression by harnessing the capabilities currently defending Ukraine right now. And a wide range of new companies are emerging to help field new information and automation capabilities. Replicator and the associated programs help make this hope more of a reality. Now, challenges posed by adversaries like China, Russia, and Iran are too immediate to rely on long-term solutions. Today's available military and commercial technologies are more than sufficient to counter threats and exploit asymmetric opportunities. And while the recent Joint Navy and Defense Innovation Unit vendor selection for unmanned underwater vehicles that we mentioned at the top of the show, while that does not fall directly under the replicator program, there are many similarities and shared goals between the two efforts as DOD and the services look to bring needed undersea capabilities to the joint force quicker. If replicator and DIU sister programs live up to their hype, it could create a streamlined pathway across the so-called valley of death to quickly bring needed technology to operators in months rather than the multiple budget cycles that we see today. Keith Richards and Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones said it best, Chris, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, well, you might just find you get what you need. My belief is the replicator program and the fast prototyping and acquisition associated with it may not be the all-encompassing acquisition reform that we want, but it might just bring the needed technology that we need. All right. Well, we shall see what we shall see. And by the way, that is my favorite Stones album. <laughs> Played very loud. Well, folks, that does it for this week. I'll be in San Diego this coming week at the USNI FCA West Naval and Electronics Exposition. If you see me there, please stop and say hi. And we'll have more coverage from the U.S. West Coast later this month. The Cavishus Podcast is sponsored by HII. Learn more about how HII's three divisions, English Shipbuilding, Mission Technologies, and Newport News Shipbuilding, are delivering the advantage from seabed to space. Visit HII at West 2024, February 13th to 15th in San Diego. HII, delivering the advantage. As always, our thanks go out to Vaga Maradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. Be sure to follow us at Cavish Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavus. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>